0: Weekend was veg fest it's a yearly celebration of vegans and vegan food that uh, takes place on Harriet Island in St. Paul. As some of you know, my wife Teresa, is a vegan, and I try to be, uh, which isn't easy for an old hillbilly farmer like me. But hillbilly farmers are some of the prime targets for type 2 diabetes, and so There I go, trying to get rid of my extremely unhealthy eating habits, which, I mean, you know, recipes uh, from where I'm uh, from says it has to be brown, has to be fried, and then you burn it. And then you add too much salt and it's perfect. That's, That's how we cook, where I'm from. I know I'm making some of you hungry, sorry. The event features everyone's favorite vegan drag queen, Mistress Ginger, she has performed here. Yeah, the event features a vegan rap artist, paradoxically named Carnage the Executioner. I'm, I'm hoping to get him to come in and do some rapping here. And also musical groups made up of uh, vegans and there are food trucks and pop-ups and that kind of thing. Now, there's two things that I notice about this event each year when I go. One is the dedication of vegans to their cause, They're saving animals and promoting human health, and they take that very seriously. The second thing I notice is the demographics of vegans because it's something that churches would kill for, frankly, because they are young, diverse people. The median age of the attendees there is 27. Now, those are the very folks, those are the demographic trends that say those folks don't join anything anymore, but guess what, they do. It's according to the mission. And they say there are two reasons for going when they're asked. One is the mission, learning to cook good vegan food, and the second is community. Community, which again, um, most of the studies say people aren't looking for anymore. So that is something to reflect on, I think, and my very own eyes have seen how this vision to save animals and the planet and improve human health brings in the younger people. And the why of that particular organization is very, very clear. And so you know why you join it. And that's one way to build a group. The mission is clear, but group cohesion is actually weak. It does cost something to be in the group, but there is a reward for being part of that group and even lower commitment level group is one that I kind of enjoy looking at. Birds aren't real. (laughs) Now, the birds aren't real phenomenon is easy to join. As you can see, I am a member and it's because I gave them my email address. That's not hard. And then the mission of the organization, the website says, The Birds Aren't Real movement exists to spread awareness that the U.S. government genocided over 12 billion birds from 1959 to 2001 and replaced these birds with surveillance drone replicas which still watch us every day. Once a preventative cause, our initial goal was to stop the forced extinction of real birds. Unfortunately, this was unsuccessful, and the government has since replaced every living bird with robotic replicas. Now our movement's prerogative is to make everyone aware of this fact. Well, what might some of those facts be? Well, here is an actual non-retouched photo of the prototype robot robot bird. <laughs> and after that, <laughs> I uh, now that I am now cons- uh, secure in my conspiracy theory here, I will want to go ahead and buy some of the swag, such as this t-shirt that gives you a schematic of what the birds actually look like on the inside. Now, after acquiring your Birds Aren't Real t-shirt, you can, of course, kick back and get even more comfortable because you can have your favorite IPA, yes, the Birds Aren't Real India Pale Ale. And you can also imbibe in its darker cousin the stout called Giraffes Aren't Real. These are options for ways to, be, to belong to things, it's an interesting organization, the why of it is clear, it's satirical. But lest we get too comfortable, consider what political scientist Robert D. Putnam has to say, he says, TV-based politics is to political action as watching ER is to saving someone in distress. Yeah. The vegan movement asks for a lifestyle change, but there's no vegan police out there with dietary restrictions and cattle prods. The Birds Aren't Real movement asks of us only, I guess, a pre-existing disposition towards skepticism concerning conspiracy theories. Eh, But, you know, what is the cost of belonging is always, I think, important to think about when we look at a group. Is it just mailing them a check? Or what else does it mean? Thinking my political opinions, even screaming my political opinions at the television screen, is a very low-cost group to belong to. The Television Screamers Association, left and right, I suppose. But, you know, yeah, or you can say that I joined the TVER political party. The cost of admission is raging at the screen, somehow thinking that I am joining in political discussion when actually, I'm just at home. (laughs) Yet, let's be real, all my ranting does absolutely nothing. It doesn't change elections, it doesn't change votes. TV-based politics is to political action, as watching ER is to saving someone in distress. Now, last week, I mentioned Robert D. Putnam's now classic book, Bowling Alone. The 20th anniversary reprint appeared recently. That's the book that first drew attention to what has now become a sort of pandemic on its own, people leaving traditional voluntary associations, everything from bowling leagues to rotary clubs to churches. Fewer and fewer Americans gather into groups and socialize let alone gathering into groups and discussing hard questions over which we might disagree, let alone gathering into groups to just socialize with each other. And this trend does have consequences, and we are seeing those consequences are all around us in American society. As Americans have gotten more dislocated and lonely, we are proving another one of Dr. Putnam's lines Social dislocation can easily breed a reactionary form of nostalgia. Social dislocation can easily breed a reactionary form of nostalgia. We all know what white guys mean when they want to live in the 1950s. Unfortunately, this social dislocation is splitting America apart and that's where we live. It's a very dangerous place to be living. American democracy is on life support, I would say, and shouting at the television is not the way to fix it. So, what do we do? I suggest that the most subversive thing anyone can do in our society is joining a living, breathing organization. A living, breathing organization with a why that you can get on board with maybe even hug to your heart. And one of those places I hope you will think about is this place. Our mission here is straightforward. It reads very simply as, as a congregational humanist community, we at First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis foster a free search for knowledge and meaning, strive for justice and serve one another, the Twin Cities and beyond. Now, there are some elements there, the first being a congregational humanist community. As I say every week, this society is the birthplace of congregational humanism. Way back in 1916, and we do carry on that tradition, changing it, tweaking it, living it. The so-called father of congregational humanism was John Dietrich. That's the Dietrich room next door. He was a senior minister here from 1916 to 1938. The congregation embraced congregational humanism in 1916 when he arrived and has never looked back. We're one of the few congregations in the nation that explicitly embraces congregational humanism. Therefore, one of our whys is supporting the larger humanist movement. For example, I don't know how many of you have seen the print or online fall volume of The Humanist Magazine from the American Humanist Association. If you get a chance, do take a look into it. With all due humbleness, I'd say that we, meaning First Unitarian Society, own this volume of the magazine. FUS board member Drew Beckius, for example, has a feature article in the magazine titled Upgrading Our Humanism, Building a Lifestyle of Embodied Values. By the way, Drew will be offering a seminar in embodied humanism at our 1215 in the Dietrich coming up next month. Don't miss it. Another article in the magazine is titled, Coloring Outside the Lines, Black Women and Queer Fems Building Humanist Community. And the article features Laika Lewis Cornwall, a humanist UU I work with a lot. We're editing a book together. The article also features Storay Michelle. Some of you know, she has performed on video here, and she's also a, a partner of our affiliated humanist clergy, Jay Hooper. And it features Mandisa Thomas, who founded Black Nonbelievers, someone who has spoken here and we've given her awards, um, and she's a friend of this congregation. Another article is about humanist chaplaincies and is written by FUS member Anthony Cruz Pintojas, who is a humanist chaplain at Tufts University. So First Unitarian Society is representing humanism to the larger world, and that's one of our missions because we're one of the few larger groups doing it. It's one of our whys. Another part of our mission says that we strive for justice, and here at First Unitarian Society, we join in hands-on, up-off-the-couch, justice opportunities. You can let her write, yes, we're halfway there, you can get us over the top, We also fight homelessness, and yes, you can join in planting some trees. Sign up downstairs after assembly today. You don't have to yell at your television. You can actually change things. And then we have this serving one another, and that's where the rubber meets the road as far as I am concerned in terms of what congregations do for each other. We're not focused on only one subject, uh, such as the non-existence of birds. We do a lot of things in our congregation. The congregational part of congregational humanism was one of the great insights of the early Unitarian humanist ministers. We can do this church thing without doing that God thing. We can do this church thing in which we recognize the humanity of others and get to work on that instead of wasting our time worrying about other things. The power of human beings joining together is the wisdom of the ages. And that's why congregations are so important. For example, the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten who lived in the 1300s BCE, so you don't have to look that up on your smartphone just at the moment. Uh, but he had a wise saying from all those years ago, and it went like this. Contemplate thy powers. Contemplate thy wants and thy connections. Thou shalt, so shalt thou discover the duties of life and be directed in all thy ways. Which, let me take the these and thous out of that, okay? Think about your power, he says, Think about your desires and your connections. By so doing, you will discover the duties of life and be directed in all of your decisions. See how smart that is. Take a personal inventory and then work from your strengths. I'll read that one more time. Think about your power. Think about your desires and your connections. By so doing, you will discover the duties of life and be directed in all your decisions, which is wise advice, I think. What's your power? What do you want from life? Who are you connected to? desires and your connections reveal your power and your purpose. So what's your purpose? Then let's ask why does First Unitarian Society exist? What's its purpose? And I would say it was built by people like you. Now that might at first appear a little strange to say. What do suffragettes from the 19th century have to do with your life? What do advocates for birth control and sex education back in the 1890s have to do with your life? What does resisting the Philippine War back in 1900 have to do with your life or the fight for teaching natural selection in Minneapolis public schools, what does that have to do with your life? What does sponsoring secret meetings of the then illegal gathering of GLBTQ people, what does that have to do with your life? What do we today have in common with people in the 1890s, in the 1900s, 1916, 1930, 1975? Well, They came to believe that human needs are more immediate and important than the gods that we worship. To use a philosophical term, what did their vision of the good have to do with ours? Vision of the good. Don't be afraid of that. It sounds a little weird, but it makes a lot of sense. What does a good world and a good society look like to you? And I would say it looks a lot like it did in 1890 to people who claimed to be liberal. Don't let the academic taste of the phrase fool you. Visions are good and they're not cerebral, finally. They become part of your gut reaction. A vision of the good is built in conjunction with and reaction to all those societal pressures that we live with. A vision of the good becomes the gut reaction when, yeah, we do scream at the television, enough is enough, basta. What does a congregational humanist community add to your life? It adds community, companionship, sharing, learning, doing, beer and chili, stuff like that. The Israeli poet Yehuda Amakai gets it in a poem that he titled The Place Where We Are Right goes like this. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Being right shuts down, closes, makes good earth into cold, hard stone. That's another reason that putting them Gets it right when he says TV based politics is to political action as watching ER is to saving someone in distress. TV is one way, it's coming at you, and you can't talk back. And the things we shout out at, well, they don't much matter. They're a place of hard and trampled ground. I can promise you if you engage some of our folks here at First Unitarian Society in conversation on just about any topic, you're gonna find doubts and loves that dig up the world and make new ways of living possible because that's why the people back in 1916 decided to be humanists. That's why people still come today. That is our why here at First Unitarian Society to break up that hard yard, and to love and live our doubts. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website, at firstunitarian.org.